How many of you guys love, love God's Word? Amen. I love worship, and I love prayer, and I, mean, I love the Holy Spirit. And during the altar time tonight, make sure you get prayer. The Holy Spirit's really moving tonight. But I love the Word of the Lord, and it's so important because I say this a lot, but where would we be if we didn't have the Bible? Think about it for a minute. We'd be in all kinds of confusion. We'd be off in all kinds of things. The Bible is the source of truth. And I always tell people, make sure that you go back to the Bible anytime there's a question. Because everybody has opinions. But at the end of the day, nobody's opinion really matters except God's opinion. And God gave us his opinion in the Bible. Okay? All right. So, Lord, we thank you for your awesome word. We love you tonight. And, Lord, we lift up the, the ministry of the word. And, Lord, I pray even right now that your Holy Spirit move upon your people. Lord, as we're going to be getting into the word tonight, that your Holy Spirit mightily move upon every single person um, that is going to be hearing this, whether it's live or maybe people are listening to a podcast. Many do. Maybe they're watching a video. But, Lord, that your Holy Spirit move upon every person very powerfully to give you their best ear, their full attention, their focus, that the Holy Spirit make us good, fertile soil for the Word of God. And Lord, I ask you tonight that, that your Word go out as living seeds of truth, that you would anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken, everything. And this will go out as living seeds and sown in a good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and that this Word will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit, fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, let this go out as light, a bright light of truth, that will shine and dispel all the darkness and the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. You know, even as people go out witnessing, you run into all kinds of deceptions. You meet all kinds of different people, all kinds of weird belief systems. Lord, let the light of truth shine, dispel darkness and bring revelation and truth. And Lord, let there be a washing of the water of the word. And Lord, we ask you to confirm the gospel, confirm your word um, with the power of of your Holy Spirit with signs and wonders that follow. And Lord, we thank you for hearing and answering this uh, prayer tonight that we stand on the promise. Your word will not return void. It will accomplish that which you sent it for it to accomplish. So Lord, let the winds of your spirit carry this out among the nations. Lord, let your mighty angels watch over. Everything's gonna be accomplished through this that your will to be done. Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So we agree together as a church that in the name of Jesus, we bind up anything of the devil that would try to resist or hinder this in any way. We commit to be bound right now and go in Jesus' name. Back off. Lord, let your angels just clear that out and let there be freedom tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I've been dealing with the Blood and Fire series, and it has been pretty in-depth, and primarily what I'm dealing with, it was a little bit deep, but going from the outer court, holy place, holy of holies, it's like an inward journey getting past our own flesh, even past our own human soul area, which is very important that we do that, and get in the spirit, and that's where divine revelation comes. And so I'm continuing in this tonight, but something that really came strongly to me during this service tonight because one of the things that in a revelation sense um, one of our intercessors really picked up on a religious spirit and a religious spirit tries to counterfeit the gospel a religious spirit will try to get people to feel that they're okay with god because they're religious because maybe they know about god they go to church and all that 
or whatever, they lead a good life in their estimation of leading a good life. But the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory. There's none of us that are righteous. And the only way that we're going to get into heaven is not going to be based on our works. And it's certainly not going to be riding somebody else's coattail. It's going to have to be a new birth. And that's what I'm concerned about right now is that I see that there's religious spirits in this nation that's trying to water down the gospel and trying to keep people from preaching the hardcore truth of the gospel. And I was talking about earlier, it's, I want to say this because I want to get on this recording, but the testimony of John Wesley as he you know, ran into the Moravians and, and they were not afraid of death because the ship was, looked like it was going to sink. He was terrified even though he thought he was saved. When he was confronted with death, he realized that he did not know for sure where he was going to go. And as he began, over a period of time, he developed a relationship with these Moravians, and they would kind of debate because John Wesley lived a very moral life, so he would say, you know, based on what I'm doing, I'm right, and what I'm not doing, and I'm on my way to heaven because of that. And the Moravians, one, one guy was just really adamant. He said, it is only by grace that you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. You're going to be born of God, and then out of that relationship that you have with the lord out of a relationship out of a new birth then you're going to stop doing things you shouldn't be doing and start doing the things you should but it's out of that born again relationship and john wesley found himself kind of at a crossroads and it's a famous story especially my methodist about alders gate where he was at this place where he finally gave his life to the lord he surrendered some people are stubborn and resist, don't they? But he got to a place where he really surrendered to the Lord. And he said, Lord, I'm, I've got to know you. And there was this new birth that took place there. He knew it. And when he was born again, he wrote in his journal, my heart was strangely warmed. And that's quoted many times by people that talk about Wesley. That was the first move of God in his life. And from that point, he began to notice the difference, the change in his life. One of the things that was so notable was that he said that temptation would try to overtake him, but now he would overcome the temptation because the Holy Spirit was in him to overcome it, see? He didn't have that grace before. And that was the first move of God in Wesley's life, but from that ultimately came the great awakening which shook England and America. And thank God for what he did. I mean, there was such a mighty move of God during that awakening. People were gripped with the fear of God. As a matter of fact, the anointing was so strong, and I believe the prayers in the Moravians had a lot to do with it, that while Wesley was preaching, sometimes people would just be struck to the ground under the power of God, convicted and getting right with the Lord. So anyway, we need a God. Um, we need to return to uh, the true word of God, okay? We need to return back to the true gospel. That's where power is, is in the gospel. All right. So let's dive into this, continuing in what I've been flowing with. I talked about daily dying to the flesh. And in a practical sense, I'm just kind of picking up where I left off. You know, how do we die to the flesh? You know, once we've come into, as you know, Pastor Stephen Berzak, these guys will tell you, after we come into a blood covenant with the Lord, and we've been born of God, and we have this relationship now, we're changed. You know, the old things that I used to crave, I honestly don't crave them anymore. How many of you guys would say that? Old things pass away, all things become new. 
you begin, once you're truly born of the Lord, you begin to, to love the things of God. There's a hunger for Him. There's a hunger. You love church. You love worship. You love prayer. You, you're hungry for the things of God. But as, as that begins in our lives in a practical sense, we've got to learn how to get past our own flesh. I cannot go back and re-preach the last several sermons. I talked about this, but our flesh is where our sinful nature dwells. And the flesh is extremely selfish. The flesh wants what the flesh wants and doesn't really care about other people. Certainly doesn't care about living for the Lord. So the Bible says that when we accept the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to live in our spirit and we're born of God. Now we've got to die to that flesh. It's not like you renew the flesh. It's that you die to it. You bring it under. Is this making sense? So in a practical sense, how do we die to that sinful nature? I personally believe from walking with the Lord now for you know, well over 20, 25 years, I believe that daily prayer has a lot to do with bringing your flesh under. As you begin to seek the Lord in prayer on a daily basis, you spend time with Him. As you pray, your flesh comes under subjection because your flesh doesn't want to pray. As I talked about last week, your flesh does not want to seek God. Your flesh doesn't want to fast. The sinful nature craves other things that are contrary to God. So we've got to die to this flesh. And the way that we die is, is we're, as we're praying, we get beyond that. It, come, it becomes subject down. It's brought down. It's under subjection. But then you move from that flesh into the soul area of the intellect and the emotions. And as you begin to worship the Lord from your heart as the emotions in your soul area, you even get beyond your own human soul and you get in the spirit. And that's where there's powerful revelation. That's what the Bible talks about, deep calling unto deep. And that's what Paul, he moved in divine revelation. That's where the gifts are really flowing. That's where God really speaks to you. That's where you see things out of the Bible that you never have seen before. I believe also another way that we bring our flesh under subjection is by living a lifestyle of fasting. Many people don't understand fasting. If they did, I think that they would do a lot more of it because it's so powerful. But fasting doesn't have to be like 40 days with just water or something. A lot of people make it harder than what I think it's supposed to be. If God tells you something specifically, you obey God like Jesus did. But as a lifestyle, just giving the Lord one day a week where you fast a meal or fast from morning to evening is extremely powerful. And so as we live like a lifestyle of fasting, some intercessors feel that every day they, they fast something daily and it shifts from day to day, but they live like a lifestyle of continual fasting. But I'll tell you something, fasting will bring your flesh under subjection. And another way that we die to the flesh is by making decisions that are led by God, but go against your flesh. Because your flesh is going to want certain things. And there's times, how many of you guys have walked with the Lord very long? You know that there were times that you wanted something. And God said, you're not going to do that. Or there were times that you absolutely did not want to do something. And God says, I want you to do that. You see? And you guys know what I'm talking about. 
Yeah, that's, you, if you disobeyed God and went with your flesh, you would have ruined so many things. You would have brought a lot of destruction. But God's looking out for us, and his word sometimes, the way that we die to the flesh is, is that God says to do something, and every part of your flesh does not want to do it, but you do it anyway. There's decisions that I've had to make where I had to die to my flesh. I absolutely did not want to do it. But God spoke to me to do it, and I obeyed him. And on the other side of it, I am so thankful that I obeyed God. How many of you guys can say that? You've had some time in your life where you had to obey the Lord and go against your flesh. All right. And another thing I would say is this. When you truly come into a covenant with the Lord, you're born of him, there's a relationship. See, what Satan, what sin came in and stole, the devil tempted Eve, what Satan destroyed really was the relationship, you see. And what Jesus has come to restore is not, he didn't come to restore like religion, he came to restore the relationship that was lost in the garden. See, God would come down and walk with man, there was fellowship. Sin separated man from God. Jesus came to remove that sin so that there can once again be fellowship with God. And that's the power of fasting, is that in the Garden of Eden, Eve ate what she was not supposed to. Fasting is interesting because you're not eating what is permitted. So it's like the exact opposite. And there's a lot, you ought to do a study on fasting in the Bible. There is a lot of promises that are linked to fasting that are not necessarily linked to any other thing. Have you ever thought about that? Read the scriptures about fasting. There are scriptures in Isaiah 58 and mixing prayer and fasting like in Joel 2. There's promises, there's things that are connected to prayer and fasting that you're only going to get through prayer and fasting. But there's promises that are so powerful. If you read Isaiah 58 and you believe that scripture, you would want to live a lifestyle prayer and fasting because there's so many powerful benefits that come. So God has got to change us before he can really bring blessings into our lives. Many times people live frustrated and they live with all these things going on that, that you know, but once we truly surrender our life to the Lord and God does a process of purifying our lives and getting the things out that need to be gotten out and change us. See, many times we want life circumstances to change but the Lord is absolutely not interested in changing your life circumstances right now. He's interested in changing you. So many times God will have us where we don't want to be, but he has us there because he wants to change us. And I remember a story, many of you probably heard this, about a guy that went fishing and he was out there and he saw this cocoon and he saw the caterpillar trying to get out of the cocoon and out of compassion, he breaks out his pocket knife he kind of slits the cocoon to help out the little guy. The problem was that what came out of the cocoon was a hybrid, so to speak, this, this fat worm with itty-bitty little wings that was somewhere in between the caterpillar and the butterfly but never made it to become the butterfly. So in his compassion, he actually ruined that thing's life. Some of the worst things that we can do for people sometimes is enable them in ways that God is actually trying to force change in their life. 
God will put us in difficult situations sometimes, and he's got like the pressure, the squeeze. See, that caterpillar goes into that cocoon. It begins that metamorphosis. But part of the process is the squeezing out the, uh, the difficulty that this thing has of getting back out. And as it's squeezing out, it's pressing through, that forces uh, whatever it is in those things, some kind of liquid blood, whatever, it forces it out into the wings so that the thing can form into the butterfly. That guy going and easing that process ruined that thing's existence. God will have you in difficult places and difficult times because he's wanting to deal with your flesh. The flesh can be rebellious. The flesh can be prideful. He's trying to get us to a place. The flesh is extremely selfish. He wants to get us into a place of breaking down all that human pride and ego down to where that flesh is brought under subjection. All right, and as we learn to die to our flesh, I want to show you this scripture. I had this in the notes last week, but James 3.13 now moving back into the soul area. And I'm going somewhere with this tonight because there is a rest that we need to enter in Christianity. So differentiating between the spirit and the soul. James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not from above, but is earthly, soulish, and demonic. Now, you have the three things right there. Worldly, you guys know that the Bible says in James that friendship with the world, you become an enemy of God. Friendship with the world, the Bible says that people that do that are like an adulterous people. The world system is ruled by the enemy and it is a wicked system. And when Christ saves us, he saves us out of the world. We're brought out of the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And there's not going to be a mixture there between Christ and worldliness. And so James says that this type of garbage right here, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, stuff like that, he says it's worldly. And he also says it's soulish. And in the Greek, that's like suke, where we get the word like a psychological. It has to do with the human reasoning. It's in the soul realm. And then he goes so far as to say it's also demonic. And so the demonic, it will come in and it will impress itself upon people's soul area. I remember hearing a story one time. The enemy tries so hard to to pry every one of us, if he can, out of the will of God. This has to do with dying to the flesh. There's places that God's had me minister, things he's called me to do that I've absolutely not wanted to do sometimes, but I did it out of obedience to the Lord. I remember one time he spoke to me to go minister at a particular place, and I knew the situation, and I'm not going to get into it, but if you knew the situation, you would feel exactly like I did. And I was like, Lord, I really don't want to do that, but he said, go. And so I went, and I'm glad I did because the Lord went before me. And when I began to minister, the Holy Spirit fell in that place so powerful. There were people that were getting right with God. There were, there were tremendous healings and miracles. 
Um, I saw demons come out of people. I saw people baptized in the Holy Ghost. It was an awesome move of God. But going into it, I had no reason to believe that that was going to be in front of me. And I had a lot of concerns. But listen, when God says to do something, we've got to die to that flesh. Amen? All right, so the soul area, as I go back to this, our own human reasoning, we get past our flesh, but the soul area is like the mind and the emotions. And that's the area that the demonic tries to manipulate. The enemy tries to put thoughts in our minds. The enemy tries to impress emotions upon us. And I remember hearing a story. Let me share it now. I was mentioning it earlier, but here we go. This, this man of God said that he was, um, when he was young, he had had this mentor, and he really loved him. And there was a lot of difficulty that broke out in this particular church where this man pastored. And the, he was gonna, the pastor was going to have to leave, and he was going to go somewhere else. And, and it broke his heart. And he said on that particular night that they were all together at a prayer meeting. He was a young man. And he said every fiber of his being did not want to be there. Isn't it just like the devil to make people feel like that? I've felt that way before. The enemy tries to make you feel that right there where God has you, where you're supposed to be, that you absolutely hate it and you don't want to be there. That's the demonic. See, it's earthly, soulish, and demonic. And so he's in this, church, this prayer meeting. He's lost. His family went through a lot of stuff. Now he feels like this pastor, this mentor that he loved is leaving. His heart's broken. Everything in him wanted to leave. The only reason he didn't leave is because it was dangerous outside. He would have had to take a bus. He didn't have money for the bus, so he felt stuck. He was frustrated, and here's what happened. That particular night... There was like this explosion in the front of the church area and two huge angels walked into that church and he saw them. I mean, they were physically in front of him. And um, they went to each side and they stood there. He said the power of God was so strong. That church had went through major satanic attack. It was turmoil. It was oppressive. He said it was very difficult to pray that night. But when these angels showed up, he said it shifted something in the atmosphere. They came in, they stood there. He said they went from floor to ceiling they were very powerful they then they left the door was open the pastor went to shut the door and all these grown men that were at this prayer meeting here he is a very young man with them they went down there and every one of them when they got down there where those angels were every one of them just collapsed under the power of God and they were there for hours under the power he said what woke him up in the morning was the sun coming through those doors were still open and they were all just kind of scattered on the floor but see, every fiber of his being did not want to be there that night. Had he had left, he would have missed that story. So it's the, the battleground. The demonic battleground is against our human flesh, which is in rebellion to God. And it's against this soulish realm as well. The enemy is a master manipulator of the mind and the emotions. And so Isaiah 11, verse 1, it talks about Jesus. Isaiah was prophesying. He said, a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And this was a prophecy down the bloodline of David would come the Messiah eventually. And it said about Jesus, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight is in the fear of the Lord. See, the Holy Spirit brings that healthy fear of God. And listen to what it says about Jesus. This is interesting. It says, He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge. I just want to stop there. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he did not look at externals. The Bible says about the Lord that he knew their thoughts. He knew what was in them. He did not look by outward external things. See, that's the problem a lot of times we get into if we're not careful. A lot of things are done by what our physical eyes see, our physical ears hear, and what our human reasoning makes that decision instead of being led by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit sometimes will go directly against what we think in our human understanding, in what we feel in our human emotions, and certainly against what our flesh wants. And I'm going somewhere with this. Human reasoning, human emotions, vain imaginations. This is why James says that it's earthly, it's soulish, and that's the soulish is the best translation of that Greek word. Different translations use different words, but soulish is the best translation. It's earthly, soulish, and demonic. And I love that, you know, John Paul Jackson talked a lot about that. He talked about prophecies coming out of the soul instead of the spirit. False prophecy. And that's true. That soulish realm, all of us, if we, you know, if we're not careful, we can slip into our human reasoning trying to figure things out. Especially in the area of discernment. We can be led by our human emotions, what we want, what we think, what we feel. And if we're not careful, even vain imaginations, things that we imagine it to be so, but it can be 100% wrong. Did y'all hear what I just said? We can think that we're right. Everything about us thinks that we're right about this. We've got it figured out. This is the way we think. This is the way we feel. We imagine it to be so. And at the end of the day, we can still be 100% wrong. That's why it's so important that we develop a relationship with the Lord and hear from God because there have been times the Holy Spirit warned me about things that I had absolutely no idea in the natural. I would have thought something was one way, but thank God for the precious Holy Spirit who said it's the opposite. And just keep following me because I'm going somewhere with this. The last couple points here I want to get to in a moment. But I want you to see that we obviously cannot be led by the lust of our flesh. And we cannot even be led by our human soul area because, you know, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Our own hearts can deceive us. All right. So keeping ourselves pure. Just let me keep going with this. Keeping ourselves unspotted 
in keeping our homes clean. I've been talking a lot in the last several weeks about having like this going deeper in Christ this year. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper in our relationship. Let's let our personal prayer lives deepen this year. Let's, let's go deeper in his glory. Let's, let's sharpen our discernment this year. Let's let this be a year of intimacy with God that we've never had before in our lives. This is the year. I'm hungry to go deeper. And I know you are too. But to do that, we've got to keep ourselves unspotted. We've got to keep our homes unspotted. Keep things out that need to be kept out. And look at Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not sow in your vineyard two kinds of seed. This is interesting. All or of the produce of the seed which you have sown in the increase of the vineyard shall be defiled. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You should not wear material of mixed wool and linen together. You'll, but you will make tassels. These are on the, the tallit. It's the, uh, what's called the tzitzit in Hebrew. It's the tassels on the four corners of your garment, which you'll cover yourself. But I want you to notice that God is laying out a principle here. What God gave Israel in the natural, we now have the fullness in Christ, the reality. And it's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual message. Here's the message. God hates mixture. He always has hated mixture. He always will hate mixture. That's why the Bible says to keep yourself unspotted, a garment that is not defiled by the flesh. That we're to remain unblemished from this present world. God does not want us to have any type of a mixture in our lives. You think about some of the weird things going on today. You have... Things like, for example, Chrislam. You're having people trying to blend Christianity and Islam and this weird mixture thing coming in. You have all kinds of bizarre things trying to come into the church. You have all kinds of worldliness, all kinds of, of things that were just simply not accepted in the past by our fathers of the faith for good reason. But now there's this weird worldliness and this mixture coming in, and I don't want to get into all of it sidetrack too much on it but there's there's all kinds of bizarre things coming in things that are new age things that are occult um, yoga all kinds of weird stuff and there's this mixture going on but god has always hated mixture and mixture is where the demonic starts coming in again this wisdom so to speak is earthly it's soulish and it's demonic god hates mixture he always has it's interesting because at the end of the Sabbath, uh, Jewish homes will have what's called a havdalah. And during that time, there'll be uh, the fruit of the vine. There's three different elements. But the message is this. Blessed are you, Lord of God, King of the universe, who distinguishes between what's holy and profane. You distinguish between light and darkness, Israel and the nations, the Sabbath day, the other six days of work. Bless you, Lord our God, who distinguishes between what's holy and profane. That's the message. God has always made a distinction between what's of him and what's not of him, and he hates that mixture. And in these latter days that we're living, I'm just warning those that truly are the Lord's, because there's people that, are, that follow this ministry that are not here tonight. But you, you're hungry. 
And they've, they've searched the internet far and wide and they're hungry for truth. There's people that live in other parts of the world that contact me, people throughout this nation, and they're so hungry for truth. And they're listening to these sermons and I just want to tell all of you, just stay away from the arrogant people in these last days. Stay away from the rebellious. Stay away from gossips. And get away from the heathen. Because the Bible is very clear in these latter days that there is a separation going on today. God is moving to separate the wheat from the tares. And it's like the wheat are being bundled together in one place, but just like the parable, the tares are being bundled together for judgment. And I just feel the Lord telling all of us that we need to start meeting together with people of, of like precious faith and begin to really go after God like never before and separate yourself from the wicked. And I, and I love this. I was talking to John Davis not long ago. And he told me this. He said, you know, my generation knew that certain things were wrong and we just avoided it. But he says, this generation seems like anything goes. And I'm about to get into where I was going with this whole sermon anyway. But along those lines, there's a modern day parable. I've shared it many times and I'll share it again because there's people that haven't heard this. But in this modern day parable, I want you to picture with me that there's a group of people that lived in a village by a river and they, the descendants grew up there and they, they have a beautiful village and it's by a beautiful river, but there's a big wall, a structure that was built by their ancestors and they don't even know why it's there, but it has become dilapidated down through the years. It's stained. The weather has affected it. And to be quite honest, it's an eyesore. Well, foolishly, the descendants decided, look, we're going to tear it down. And so they go, they tear down the wall. After a few years pass, torrential rains come, and all of a sudden the river rises so strong that it sweeps in where that wall used to be, and it literally wipes out their village. Widespread destruction. Some of the elderly die, some of the children drown, homes were completely lost, it brought widespread destruction. And then they realized, you know, our forefathers of the faith had the wisdom to put that wall there and we should have left it. We should have inquired why it was there. We should have never moved that thing to begin with. And that's exactly what's going on in this generation. There's things that our fathers of the faith that put a wall up and said, don't go there. But many places are tearing down the wall and they're letting all kinds of stuff in that the fathers of the faith would have never let in. And it's causing all kinds of problems. For example, the, you know, the alcohol, different things, it's, it's destroying lives, destroying families. All right. And the last couple things I'm getting to is this. And this is where I was going with this whole sermon tonight. As you understand the flesh that is rebellious against God, you understand the soul area that our human soul can deceive us. We've got to develop that inner man and we've got to develop that relationship with the Holy Spirit to be led by him. And the Bible says this, that those that are sons of God and sonship implies maturity are led by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit in the Greek there implies continually led. 
not like you were led once 20 years ago. This is an ongoing relationship where you're continually being led by the Spirit of God. So the glory brings rest. In Hebrews 4, Therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, and one of you may seem to have come short of it, for indeed we have good news preached to us just as they did also. He's talking about Israel at the Jordan River about to take the promised land. They also had the word preached to them, but the word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith. For we who have believed in a rest, there is a faith aspect to Christianity. And obviously he's talking about a salvation experience of entering that rest, and I understand that, but the principle still remains. I felt it was interesting because when my daughter was praying and she was really travailing in the spirit and the Holy Spirit revealed to her about this religious spirit, this is something that, that we've been coming up against the entire time we're in Dallas. It's not something that, that is uh, you know, limited to a couple churches here and there. This is in the realm of principalities that blanket territory. And it's something that we're coming up against. It's a religious spirit. Now, a religious spirit... The first thing she said to me, and this is what stuck out to me the most, she said, what I hear is this religious spirit telling people's minds that things will never change. Things are the way they are, and they're never going to change. See, that right there is in the realm of what Hebrews is talking about. There's a word that we hear, and if we don't combine it with faith, were liable to shrink back just like Israel did. Israel should have took the promised land. They should have crossed the Jordan. And they should have saw a great victory. But because of their unbelief, they missed God completely and ended up back in the desert again. And this religious spirit is trying to tell people that why believe? This just Things are going to continue on as they always have. Don't waste your time. Let me tell you, that's a religious spirit that's trying to steal destiny. Also, this religious spirit, let's just talk a little bit about how dangerous a religious spirit is. A religious spirit is a counterfeit. A religious spirit tries to give people some kind of an inoculation, so to speak, of where they feel good. A lot of people go to church and they feel good about themselves because they went to church and they did God a favor, right? By going to church. Of course they did, right? And they, they're religious. And they, they can quote some scriptures. They know a little bit about God or whatever. But see, a religious spirit keeps them from ever actually entering into a relationship where they're born again and they come into that relationship with God. That is deadly because as long as they remain religious and they're never born of God, they're still going to go to hell religious. How many times I heard Steve Phil say in Brownsville, Things like this. You can go to hell with baptismal water still dripping from your face. You can go to hell with a communion wafer in your mouth holding a Bible. You know, you can go to hell with all, you can go to hell wearing a choir robe. You know, we say all kinds of stuff like that, and it's very true, isn't it? Religion doesn't save you. The way that we come into this is by being born of God, and it's a blood covenant. Once we have a true new birth, we are different on the inside. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. 
We're a new creation. We are different. I'm just telling you, and I know many of you feel this way too, but there's things that I used to struggle with, all kinds of sin in my life and everything. But once I really came to know the Lord and, and God did a work in my life, being born of God and all that and the new creation, I'm just telling you, old things pass away. I don't want those things anymore. And I know you feel the same way too. But see, we can be hindered from coming into that rest of salvation if we don't believe God. And I'm concerned also because I believe this is the year for River of Life. I feel this. This is the year for us to see answered prayers beginning, things we've been praying about a long time. And the devil's fought tooth and nail because it's a religious spirit in this region. What a religious spirit is after, it knows that if people have truly been born of God, and, and all that, the, the religious spirit knows that it's not really going to be able to do too much about that. So why not just let them all get together, entertain them and pacify them and give them a lot of fun activities and keep them busy and just, you know, pacify them. That they're in a place of being lukewarm. They're not a threat. And just give them what they want in that realm right there. Just leave them there. But then that religious spirit has got to look at all the church people that don't know God. And so it's got to make sure that they never actually hear the pure gospel. And then as far as the world goes, the message is things like this. Well, all these Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. There are some hypocrites. They'll be in hell just like every other hypocrite. But there's still true people out there that know God. But that religious spirit tells them, yeah, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And tells them things like, you know, why would you ever go over there? Why would you do this? See, to the world, going to church seems so stupid and boring. To them, it seems like a bunch of rules. That's religion. If they ever came to know the Lord and understood how awesome this really is, they would understand it's not boring or religious. It's awesome. Because that religious spirit wants to make the world think that, that God is boring uh, everything's boring and to a religious person it is boring until they come to know the Lord then it's no longer boring it's awesome and this is why I feel for River of Life in particular I'm not saying this for the greater body I don't know but there's times in history where people really got desperate and cried out I mean they were desperate and I, you can read about these accounts for yourself. I encourage you to do so. Google it. You can read about in particular like the Hebridean revival would be a really good one. Um, in Hebrides, uh, you know, they, they were desperate. A handful of people, a couple old ladies, and, uh, you know, somewhere around a, a dozen or less men in a barn praying. Uh, but they were desperate. They were crying out to God in desperation because society around them had gotten so away from God they saw the churches were empty um, they saw that young people were not interested in God they saw society like it was and they began to cry out well the Holy Spirit fell and I believe this is what we're about to experience in River of Life but every time this has happened in history things seem so dark and difficult and oppressed it seemed like things would never change it felt so frustrating. People felt like giving up. And then God showed up. So don't be surprised if things don't start getting more difficult before they get better. Think about the Bible. Moses comes in and says, God said, let the people go. 
What does Pharaoh do? He says, quit giving them straw and make things miserable for them. It got harder before it got better. And so a lot of times the devil knows there's about to be a major breakthrough and he'll really begin to tighten the screws, you know. And that's where it was, but this is what I feel for River of Life. God is about to do something where things break open that have seemed absolutely immovable. But the Lord is about to pry something open. And it's going to be a move of God for us. And it's going to be answered prayers. And here's how it's going to come. Because I've been spending a lot of time with the Lord last couple of years in prayer. There's going to be supernatural provision for it. Things that have seemed impossible are going to start getting easier. The harvest will yield. But here's the thing. We're not after a bunch of people that are just going to accept like, a, like they're coming to accept a religion or something. No, no, no. They're going to hear the gospel from me. And say, you, you've got to be born again. And I tell you, there's going to be people having radical encounters with God. Because the Spirit of God is going to come upon people. And they're going to be born again. And that's what it's going to look like. It's going to be the Holy Spirit moving upon the harvest. Did y'all hear that? It's not going to be a bunch of people, you know, raise your hand, say this prayer, kneel, do this, sign a card. No, none of that, no. It's going to be the Holy Spirit is going to be moving on the harvest field to convict and you're going to see an awesome move of God in the harvest that's coming and I believe with all my heart somehow and I, I feel this even as I'm saying this I feel this right now it's connected to um, Steve Hill's ministry and legacy here in Dallas when he prayed over me there was some there's something set in motion but God is going to yield a harvest there's going to be supernatural provision for that harvest. God's going to do something that we've been wanting him to do for a long time. And in that, the glory of God is going to be so thick that there's going to be great restoration and there's going to be healing and health. And things are going to change. It's going to be very powerful. And I believe we're right at it. We're, you're not looking at 10 years down the road. We're at it. And that's what I'm saying. Between now and Pentecost, let's cry out to God. Let's press in. This is the time for the intercessors. I believe this. I believe that we're standing at the Jordan. It's time. But only God can part those waters. This is why we've got to believe him. See, from what I understand, Moses had to lift the rod. You know, whenever they, when it was time for Joshua to send them across, you know, they had to step into the water, so to speak. They had to step in faith and then things opened. So there's an aspect of this of let's believe what God's saying and let's step forward into it and he's going to do it. But this is really what I wanted to close with is Satan's fifth column. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going to pick up on this more next week. But I feel that this is very important that you guys understand this. All right, so if you're looking at your notes, just follow along. This is Satan's fifth column. And Derek Prince shared this story. And it's related about this. A certain Spanish general, this is where you get the phrase fifth column. Many people have heard that and probably not known where it came from. So the story is this. There was a Spanish general who was attacking a Spanish city. And another general came up to him and said, tell me, general, how is it that you plan to capture the city? 
So this first general, he's on a horse. He's like up on a hill. He's looking down at the city. And he tells this other guy who asked him the question, well, I have four columns advancing on the city. I have one from the north, one from the south, one from the east, one from the west. And then he paused and said, though, but it's my fifth column that I'm expecting to take the city. And the other guy asked him, well, where's your fifth column? He said, inside the city. That's where you get the phrase fifth column. The fifth column is a group of traitors inside who betray the city to the attackers without. It is only the fifth column in the church. Now, please hear this statement. This is very important what I'm reading. I'm closing with this, but you need to get this. It is only the fifth column in the church that ever permits us to be defeated. We are never defeated from without. The world cannot defeat us. The devil cannot defeat us. Whether you're defeated individually or corporately, it is Satan's fifth column that took it down. Guarantee you. Church doors that end up closing, it was Satan's fifth column that caused the split and caused the people to leave caused the finances to dry up. You see what I'm saying? It was the fifth column that did it. And again, I'm not going to dwell on this. I'll get into a lot more next week. But Satan has his fifth column among God's people. We're living in those times where we need to be aware of this. Some of Satan's fifth column are actually deceived Christians that are used of the devil. They have undealt with issues in themselves of pride and rebellion, etc. Maybe Jezebel spirits or whatever else. And they cause all kinds of turmoil in the church. There's also, and this is an increasing number in the day that we live. See, when my parents were growing up, it was far less common that you would have a whole bunch of unsaved people in a church. They had other places to be. But nowadays, the church has tried to become very worldly and just get people to come. Give them what they want. Run it like a business. It's a social thing. Well, now because it's just a social club and they refuse to preach the gospel and, and uh, you know they don't want the Holy Spirit convicting anybody, because of that, you have a bunch of unsaved people in there. Let me just tell you, that is another satanic fifth column. They are not there for the right reasons. They do not know the Lord. And it won't take hardly anything for them to cause all kinds of problems in that church. The next one are infiltrators, which this is very extremely common. And this has been going on for a long time. But people that are like witches and Satanists that pretend to be Christians that infiltrate the only way you're going to discern them is by the Spirit of God because they are masters at what they do. They actually have training to do that. But here's another one. Infiltrators. I believe this is going to be happening in these days that we live. You know how we have like this, um, this strong liberal agenda in our nation? How many of you guys have seen where the liberals now are very violent? They attack people on the streets, you know, Whenever you guys remember when Judge Kavanaugh was, was 
uh, inaugurated, and it's like they were screaming. It sounded like a bunch of demons calling at the door. I mean, you're dealing with some weird spirit there with liberalism. I think that there's going to be people that are sent by the devil that are, for example, maybe Muslims or maybe they're, they have an LGBT background or whatever, but they come in among churches with an agenda. They're there for the reason of being a fifth column. They want to infiltrate to destroy it from within. And also, and this is for next week, I don't have time to get into this, but self-proclaimed watchdogs and critics of all the people I mentioned, I think that those people right there are the most destructive. Self-proclaimed watchdogs and critics that sit back and they judge and they have absolutely no idea what they're even talking about. Anything that's anointed, anything that's powerful, they, they write books against it. And unfortunately, they sway many people from the move of God. And they cause widespread destruction and division in God's people. And let me just tell you, I'm just going to quote the Bible. The Bible says God hates the one that sows discord among the brethren. That's what God said. That's not my, like my opinion. God said that. God said, I hate the one that sows discord among my people. And that's Proverbs 6. So there's infiltrators. There's those that creep in among us. And some of them don't even know what they're doing. They're like deceived Christians. But there's also people that know exactly what they're doing. They're master manipulators. They're very good at what they do. Some of them even have training to do it. And you have to discern them by the Spirit. Because, see, if you try to judge, remember Jesus, it said that he did not judge by what his eyes saw and his ears heard. If you, if you try to look in the natural, you'll never see it. If you listen to just what they're saying, it sounds so good. Is this making sense? Your human reasoning will never figure it out. Your human emotions will have sympathy and compassion for them. You're going to have to get in the spirit, and those type of things have got to be discerned in the spirit. And some of that is so difficult, and I'll just give some advice to some other fellow ministers out there, but this is something that was told to me and something I do on a regular basis. But just walk through the church with your hands up like this and pray. Because some of this is going to be very difficult to deal with unless the Lord himself deals with it. And if we pray, God will do it. But walk through the church with your hands up like this. Walk among the pews and the chairs. Say, Lord, I ask you that every person, that you would keep out the wrong people. But if they do creep in, Lord, we ask you that they will not be able to get entrenched. They will not be able to get their roots down. They won't be able to get entangled with other people. They won't be able to get settled in. But we ask you, Lord, that you would expose them and that you, like an old infected tooth or something, just pull them out and get rid of them. And you watch as God begins to expose and clean them out. All right, I'm going to close with that. Let's go ahead and pray. I feel the presence of the Lord here so strong tonight, ever since the worship time. But Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for River of Life. And if somebody could get, thank you. Lord, I just pray for tonight that you would seal this time. Lord, I ask you to come mightily upon the intercessors and the prayer warriors here in a moment. And just, you know, just let there be kind of a flow there of prayer. Well, this is a powerful time. It's a significant time.
And Lord, we ask you as we yield to your Holy Spirit, even as we move from this into uh, the time where we're going to pray with people, Holy Spirit, that you would increase, let the anointing increase, let the glory, Lord, increase. Let the gifts be in operation. Lord, we ask you to touch your people mightily. I just feel that a prophetic thing, I'm just going to say it out. I know people aren't really listening to, you know, too much right now, but there's, there's some things because of what I'm preaching on that sometimes there's people that don't know and decisions are made. But I feel because of prayer, God is going to intervene one way or another about different things in the future. And he's going to judge and he's going to bring things back in line the way they're supposed to be. And he's going to block some things that need to be blocked. He's going to change some things that need to be changed and break through some things that need to be broke through. And I feel it's because of persistent prayer. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. But persistent prayer will stop the enemy's tactics. And you can go ahead and play that iPod when you're ready. Persistent prayer, though, will enforce what the Lord's wanting to do. I just encourage you guys here in a moment, we're going to pray for people who want prayer. And let me just tell you my experience, okay? I'm like a, a spiritual child of the 90s revivals. And when I went to Brownsville years ago, 